Thank you. <laughs> wow. Okay, good to be with you. Um, so yeah, so I've been here before, and in fact, um, having been here before, now I realize that it's really George that you want to see more than me. Um, several of you said, is George here today? George, for those of you who don't know, is my Great Dane, so he stands about like this. And the last time we were here, um, we brought him with us. Today, my wife Judy is actually ministering in one of our Chinese churches in San Francisco, um, and George just stayed home so that neither one of us had to tackle him by ourselves. Um, but uh, yeah, next time I'll bring him back since it seems like he's so welcome. I appreciate that. That warms my heart. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, so just on, on the district level thing, just to, as a, a way of reminding you, you're not alone. You're a part of over 50 churches in the Western District. It's Northern California, Northern Nevada. We are the Western District, which is one of 17 districts across the country of the Evangelical Free Church of America. So though your name is Concord Bible Church and the word Evangelical Free Church of America doesn't show up anywhere, um, still you're you're a part of that family of churches. And so I just want you to know that all all of the resources that we have, both at the district level and the national level, are yours. Um, And um, and I thank you for praying for us, praying for me, um, because this is fun. I get to come and, and bring the Word of God to you, worship with you. I mean, I'm ready to close in prayer. I've been ministered to so much already. And so thanks for that. Um, But um, sometimes there's crisis, and sometimes there's need for consultation, and sometimes there's need for training and other specific kinds of services that we can offer, both to pastors as well as to congregational members. And so that's why we exist. And so we're here for you. You can call on us anytime you want. I'm not that far away from you. I live in San Francisco, in case you didn't know that either. And so I just want you to know that we are here for you. And I, I just appreciate all that you have done for us in the past, the way you've been supportive to us. And uh, we just feel that support from you, and I hope you feel support from us, and we want to be available to you. I keep saying that my very first role is to be the safest set of ears that a pastor could ever need. And that goes for senior pastors, but it goes for the associate staff members that are part of the pastoral staff teams and so forth, too. I am really blessed that you are giving your pastor a sabbatical. Not all of our churches have that kind of wisdom, okay? And so I'm, I, just want to, I just want to say to you, way to go. And it's not something that all all people understand clearly, and this isn't the time to explain it all, but let me just say I'm grateful that you're doing that. Um, It will mean uh, a ton for the future, and so thanks for being a blessing to Jeremy in that way. And um, again, I'm just really grateful. So I'm here, and I want to uphold the values of this church, the direction of this church, the the places where you're going. Um, It's kind of fun to see all the E-words up behind me on the thing up there, right? And, and, um, and I, I love that because you, you're really touching on all five of those areas are, are what we need to be consider, considering all the time and, and, and applying our lives to all the time. This morning, I'm going to do the middle one, I think, is where I would put the category evangelism. Actually, in the list that you have of those in your, in your bulletin or program, whatever you call it, that you passed out on, on Sunday to Sunday, it's actually the fifth one on the list. Um, in any case, evangelism is what I want to talk about today. What's interesting to me is that for most of us in the room, it's the one out of the five that sort of makes our stomach turn. I'm waiting for some reaction. There's a few of you in the room that are gifted evangelists. There's a few of you in the room that have, just have so much passion you can't stand your own self because you just got to tell everybody about Jesus, right? And, and I get that. There's a few of those. There's about 1% of those across the country of America, okay? And so you are vastly outnumbered by the rest of us who are way more normal about this whole thing. And it kind of petrifies us, we're scared, we're timid, we're unequipped, we're inadequate, we feel like we fail all the time, 
Um, we let opportunities go right by us all the time. And it's why I want to address it. It's why I want to talk about it. And I want to talk about it at a very normal level. I want to normalize it as much as possible. I want to make it all as available as possible because most of us feel like evangelism, well, we are allergic to it, maybe, or something. Okay, I don't know. But maybe you have so much joy and so much hope in Jesus that you're good to go on it. And this is the one church that's just unique of all other churches. But when I, when I travel around, I sometimes have people raise their hand. How many of you think that you really actually have the spiritual gift of evangelism, raise your hand. Go ahead, actually do it. One and two. And that's, that's about twice as many as the average. Okay, so you guys are exceptional. I'm serious. It's usually one in a hundred. Okay? And so um, that's fascinating. Now then we could also have those that are professionals, you know, professional religious people, right? Pastors, missionaries, those kinds of people. And we could have you raise your hands and you'd be in the minority as well. The point being that if we leave it to the gifted and the professionals, guess what happens? We fall behind. It's no wonder that God called us all to this process of loving and caring for people and telling our own stories and giving the gospel, the good news of Jesus away. And so, so that's, that's, that's the other part. I want to be the safest set of ears that a pastor could ever need and then I also want to be lighten a fire under every one of us as believer priests, as ambassadors for Christ, then in fact there's a way that we can engage. Engagement is one of my big words, and for you all, it means engaging with one another in fellowship as the believing saints in Christ. I know that. I read it in your, in your program here. I read it. I like to talk about that in terms of engaging with people that don't know Jesus yet like engaging at that level. And that, that's a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about today. So in any case, again, let me just say thank you. I want to pray before I begin so that we can have our hearts set right. But just, uh, again, thank you for all that you do to be supportive and everything else with us. We appreciate that. I exist because of the, the generosity financially of the giving of, of our member churches in the district. So I appreciate all that you can do in that way as well. So in any case, thanks. Let's pray, and then I'm going to open the Word of God with you here. Father, thank you again that we can be together. We love you. We want to give you honor and glorify you in every way we can. I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that you would be lifted up among us today. Because when you're lifted up, people are drawn to you. And I thank you for that, too. So, we offer ourselves to you. Don't let us be the same person we were when we leave this place as we were when we walked into this place today. We're yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So two weeks ago, uh, two and a half weeks ago, I sat with a friend over pizza who, during the course of the conversation, said to me in all sincerity, thank God you moved into this neighborhood. That was really cool to hear, right? What's even cooler is this friend of mine is an atheist. Go ahead, let that filter in there a little bit, okay? So three days ago, um, Judy and I took he and his wife to dinner for her birthday. Two days ago, he and I went out late for another of our deep philosophical talks around his uh, lack of faith and my, my faith in Jesus, and we have great conversations along that, those lines. We've been friends now for almost three years, and so it's been a long time coming that we've been able to cultivate that kind of a relationship. A couple of, uh, two weeks ago now, their 18-month-old daughter went through heart transplant surgery. Finally, the heart came through, and the transplant was accomplished, and now she's doing incredibly well, and we're so grateful. We've been praying like crazy 
not knowing how God might answer, right? And I even, I even told them that just, this, just a couple of days ago. I, I actually texted them and I said, you know, I've been praying and it turns out God answered my prayer. And I said, well, let me check that. He actually gave me what I asked for. Because sometimes he answers and it's not what I asked for. But in this case it was. And so in any case, um, we're, we're kind of rejoicing along those lines and I'm really grateful. So anyway, I respect my friend. I love him. And because he knows this... When we were sitting together over pizza, I responded to him when he said, thank God you moved into this neighborhood. I said, hey, you just thanked God. (laughs) And he said, yeah, and I mean it. Now, this isn't because I'm some kind of incredible, you know, teacher and preacher and evangelist. This is because I've been a friend of this, this incredible person for almost three years. And we've just spent time together in a bunch of different kinds of ways. Every kind of way imaginable. In every kind of context imaginable. And he is not, he's not bowing the knee to Jesus. Okay? That's not what he's doing. But who knows what he is doing? I don't. And yet I'm there, and I love him, and I will be his friend no matter what kind of decisions he makes in the future. And the reason I mention this to you is simple. Since he's my friend, I I spend time with him. He's my friend because we've spent time together. I like him. There's not enough of that going around. Especially uh, among us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. And yet, if I could somehow like empty it out of all of its hyper-spiritualization, and we could just have permission to be friends with people, maybe we could all like engage and actually be connected and be there whenever it is that God makes the decision to save somebody's soul because how many of you have ever saved a soul? We can't do it. We can't do it. Trick question, sorry. (laughs) That happens when I ask that usually. Trick question. We can't save a soul, can we? That is a spiritual work that only God can do, but we can be there when He chooses to We could be the one that happens to be there in that moment when he says, you're mine! And he takes somebody to his own heart. And there is no greater moment than that, right? So you know that feeling, yeah. Man, to be the one, right, who is there in that moment. That's what I'm really talking about, that we might be there and be there being friends with people who don't know Jesus yet. That's why I believe God left us on the planet. Is that too big of a statement? There's a part of me that believes that the reason that you and I, those who are walking by faith in Jesus Christ who have surrendered our heart to Him, who trust Him for our salvation and trust nothing else, just like we just got through celebrating right here at this table. That's by the way, the only way that you can eat and drink of this in an unworthy manner would be that if you think you have something to add to the blood of Christ, then you're, you're drinking in an unworthy manner. In any case, we trust Him alone. So because those of us that do trust Him in that way, He, he has chosen to use us in an incredible way. So I'm inviting you now, I guess, to spend your life and the breath that God gives you because there's somebody out there who you're uniquely designed to connect to. And until you do, and He uses you for that, you're going to keep breathing. And then maybe you get to go home after you're done with that. I don't know. That's His timing. So anyway, what I'm doing really is inviting you to intentionally spend less time with other believers and more time with those who, as yet, have not trusted Jesus for their salvation. Is that a weird thing to say? I'm saying stop going to church so much and take it to the streets. 
That's what I'm saying. I'm saying be with people. Eat and drink and hang out with all the wrong people. That's Luke 7, right? It's what Jesus was accused of, wasn't he? He, he ate and he drank and he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard and hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, all the wrong people, right? Let, let's so live as to maybe get accused the same way that Jesus was accused. That's kind of what I'm talking about. So I want you to look in your program because there's some handouts in there. I want you to pull those out real quick and we're going to go through this. There's a lot of material here and that's by design. I want you to take it home with yourself and I want you to look at it yourself and I want you to go over it by yourself and I want you to really examine it. We don't have time to go through it all today, so I'll just give you a little bit of a brief version of it and then you can kind of take off with it if you so choose. So the first thing I'd like to say is that is that undergirding all of this is sort of my sermon title of the day, which is simply this, what matters most is people finding Jesus. So if you look at your entire life and all the reasons you have to live and all the reasons that Jesus is waiting till he comes back again, really what matters most is people finding Jesus. If you, if you weigh out the reality that, that, that people are actually perishing, then what matters most is people finding Jesus. If Jesus, the innocent, died on the cross and shed his own blood in the most horrendous act ever to occur in human history, then what matters most is people finding Jesus, right? And so that's really all, all that's on the line here. But here on this page, if you look at the tan-colored one first of all, you'll see here's what, why, and how that engages every believer priest in gospel furtherance. If you want to live this way, then, then, then here's something that I want you to get under your belt to kind of just get into that groove. But it's going to be way easier than it appears with all the words on this paper. And so don't get intimidated just because there's so many words here. I just wanted to give some backing for this and some time that you could spend on your own, okay? Um, So anyway, there is this E word, evangelism, evangelize, and we have formed our understanding and relationship to it, and that's the first section on this page, right? So so there's all these famous verses. One of them's over there, go and preach the good news to all the world, right? And and you will be my witnesses. It sounds like a threat to me. And I will make you fishers of men, and... Preach the gospel to all generations. Go make disciples. You are the light of the world. And I love your light theme, right? That's what we're doing now. We have this light theme. And so this morning, you, you how many of you are like, like morning people? You love the morning. Yeah, look at you. Okay. So you may have done this if you're a morning person. But, you know, here's more like what happens around my place. We drag ourselves out of bed. We drag ourselves into the bathroom. And we look in the mirror, turn on a light. How many of you in that scenario this morning went into the bathroom, whether you're a morning person or not, and you flicked on the light and you looked at yourself in the, bath, in the bathroom mirror and you said, Oh, you are the light of the world. <laughs> I, I'm willing to bet zero of us did that this morning, right? And yet Jesus said so. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. Wow! Jesus is the light of the world, and then he said, but I'm leaving, and I'm leaving you here, and now you are the light of the world. Wow, that's just frightening, right? Me? Seriously? Me? The light of the world? Yeah, so when the light is shed on us, and when we're letting our light shine before men, and all, what do they see? I'll tell you what they see when they look at me. They see a man desperately in need of grace. And all of a sudden, even my flaws become a good witness to the gospel and the good news because we all need to be saved from our sin, right? 
And of course, self-righteousness might be the greatest of all of those sins. So do the work of an evangelist. Make the most of the opportunity. How will they hear without a preacher? And it all sounds very guilt-provoking in my ears, even though I could not have more passion for people. Okay, So that sort of sets a backdrop. And so what I want to give to you then next notice is a biblical theology for the Pray and Watch lifestyle. Now, we've written, Judy and I have written a book called Pray and Watch. And you can find it and get a copy if you want to do even more reading on this. But in any case, here's a sort of a summary of, of, of how God's worked in our life over decades now to bring us to this place where we realize what matters most is people finding Jesus. And therefore, we can live the pray and watch lifestyle in such a way as to just be there when, when God is doing the work. God has to do it. We get to help. So in the beginning, of course, creation was perfect and good and God wanted to have a perfect relationship with us. And we did. And then, of course, we blew it, right? And so now people are perishing. See that? It's on your sheet. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, let me make one correction for you. The Matthew 26 passage there should be Matthew 25. Okay, sorry. Not 26, but 25. The reality is that there will be this separation of the sheep and the goats, and there will be those who were judged and who will be eternally punished for, for dying in their sins, etc. And, and that was me before Jesus found me and, and drew me out, right? But the truth is is that God's plan has always been to redeem a people for Himself. And that's from the very beginning, the first book of the Bible, all the way through to the very end, the last book of the Bible. It is the major theme throughout, Jesus being the, the cornerstone and the central focal point. All of it is the idea that He's calling a people to Himself and doing all the work necessary to be done so that a people could actually come and then find that holy standing before God because they're robed in the righteousness of Christ. So God's plan has always been to redeem a people for Himself. In fact, God is the active seeker of the lost. I love that. In fact, Luke 15 is probably my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. It's those three parables about lost things, right? And, and there's a theme through all three of those stories that Jesus tells, and He's simply saying the people on the planet that matter the very most are those that are lost, those that don't know Jesus yet. That's why I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's why I leave you here to seek and to save that which is lost. They are the priority. Whether it's coin or sheep or sons that are lost, when they're found, heaven rejoices in a very unique way. Right? And so do we. If you've ever been used that way, as I mentioned before, you rejoice in your heart of hearts when you happen to be the one that God uses in that way. It's awesome. Cool. Okay? So then we find flip the page over god's heart is to save people that's his desire so that we know that's his will then then we can join him in it so we are called to give the gospel to a fallen world um now we can't save anyone so let's all breathe a sigh of relief only god can save a soul so let's take comfort in that reality right god must and in fact is drawing people to himself john six forty four, jesus said himself that no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him right and jesus must draw so we ask jesus to draw people to himself we ask god to draw people to jesus right and and then and then the final analysis of this is that prayer is our best work prayer is our best work so in matthew 9 you, you know the passage there probably it's it's that story when jesus is walking across the countryside and they come to this open field and there's like this uh, crop that's there and it's ready to be harvested right it's that time of year and so jesus jumps on that and uses it as an illustration for spiritual harvest for the fact that there are people that are growing up and and now they're ready 
to be brought to the Savior, right? And so he says to his disciples, look, look at how white the harvest is. It's ready, and so is the spiritual harvest among my people. And so the very next thing that comes out of his mouth, you're thinking, if you haven't read the story, you don't know the story, you're thinking, so guys, what's next? Grab a sickle. Let's start harvesting, baby. Let's do it. Let's get out there and go. Right? No, wrong. What does he say? So therefore, in light of the harvest, pray. That's what he says. Fascinating. That tells me that prayer is the work. Prayer is our best work. And now this next question might change your life forever. How many of you have the ability, the capacity, the availability of a God who listens and all that kind of thing so that you could pray in this very next moment? Raise your hand. The Bible teaches us very clearly that we can pray now. There's nothing standing in our way of praying. And praying that God would draw people to Himself for salvation and that they then might go and become laborers for His harvest, like it talks about in Matthew 9, is to pray within God's will, isn't it? It's to join Him. It's to partner with Him. It's to position ourselves, to posture ourselves in the most powerful position ever. And you can do it right now. You don't have to go to school. You don't need a clinic. You don't need more training. You don't need more theology. You don't need to have the capacity to answer all the hard questions. You don't need to be perfect in your lifestyle. You don't need to never ever sin again in order to be qualified to do this. You can pray and you can pray now. And this is how cool this is. Because all of a sudden for me, evangelism is no longer threatening because I can begin to evangelize now just by living a life of prayer. God, draw people to yourself and make them kingdom laborers who will reach others in your harvest. Okay? So then look at the box that's on your, your, your paper there. Because I've put that prayer in there that becomes a way of life. We've called it the five-second prayer. It almost sounds magical. It's not. Because no prayer is, right? I mean, don't go there. But here's this, this little prayer. Father, send your Holy Spirit to draw the heart of, fill in the blank with the name of a friend or a stranger or a whoever. Draw their heart to yourself and make him or her a kingdom laborer. Now, all you really need to remember in this process is listed there for you under number one through six, and I'm going to let you see those on your own as you go through the process of rereading it and doing it on your own. But right now, I want to get really practical and not take too much more of your time, okay? Remember, what matters most is people finding Jesus, but you're ready to be used right now. It's an awesome opportunity. So now, bring out the white sheet that's in your program, if you would, and it's entitled My Pray and Watch List, right? So this is not a general prayer list. This is a list for a specific purpose. These are people who as yet have not surrendered to Jesus, trusting Him for eternal life, who I am praying for constantly that God would draw them to Jesus for salvation and make them kingdom laborers who reach others also. See, I have this funny sense, and that is that when somebody first becomes a believer in Jesus, they're actually immediately qualified to draw somebody else to Jesus. In fact, I've watched people on my pray and watch list who have not bowed their knee to Jesus yet be used by God to bring somebody else. Because God can use anybody, right? When He's intending to save someone. That's how good He is at saving people. It's like the opposite of me. I'm horrible at saving people. He's really good at saving people, and we get to partner with Him, right? So here's this list. Now, this, this page, as you can see, I've got categories and lines for first names there, family friends these are like the typical ones the ones you would have thought of first right teammates co-workers neighbors classmates 
put them in there. There may be too many lines for you. There may not be enough, but you can fill them in as you go and maybe add more and more. Now flip the sheet over because here's a couple of categories you might not have thought of. And I want to keep priming the pump because you know what? Here's the lesson of this sheet. And that is you are already there. That's the message. You are already there. You live a life and you live it out in day-to-day experience. And guess what? This, this idea of having to do some massive transformational going thing, God already took care of that because you're already there. You're living your life in these places. So you've got social media contacts. That's a new one. When we wrote the book, I didn't include that. It was like, it wasn't quite pre-internet, but it was close. Okay? Social media contacts, right? How about people you don't like? Are you willing to pray for them? How about people who don't like you? (laughs) Are there any of those? Maybe you've been avoiding them forever, right? And so you don't think they exist anymore. People who serve you, people you serve, people you don't let your kids play with. Like good Christian parents, we make sure to keep our kids away from the wrong kids, right? Not sure that's what Jesus would do. Okay, but whatever. Long-distance people with whom you stay in contact. People who have hurt you. And then here's a few people who are not so much on your pathway, but in fact, that God might lay them on your heart. Look at this. Political figures, famous people, notorious people. Anyone else? Other, right? Write them down. You know what? Notorious people, right? Right up until the moment of his death, I prayed for Osama bin Laden. And I'm not sure why I did, other than that God asked me to, I thought. He wanted me to pray for him, so I did. I have no idea what happened. No idea. But what I do know is that grace covers all. So, I invite you in. Write their names down. Pray for them whenever you think of it. All you're praying is, God, draw them and make them a kingdom laborer too. Give them salvation and use them to reach others. It's really what this is. That's all it is. And you can do it now, and you can do it constantly and forever. The cool thing is that, of course, you can do this in, like, your quiet closet, like, on purpose and your disciplined prayer, because we're all in the room incredibly disciplined, right? You have, you have that designated time that you set aside to be with God and, like, devotions on your knees and whatnot before the sun comes up every morning, okay? All you morning people, that's what you do. Okay, but the re- this gets really awesome when you are standing in the grocery line, and you're praying for the people all around you. And in fact, you know the clerk's name. And you can pray for them. But of course, I, I've known lots of people along the way who prayed for the lady in the blue dress because they hadn't learned her name yet. And that's cool. But it just becomes a way of life. So this last Friday, I met a new friend um, whose dog's name is Zenu. Storytelling is a big deal on this. You want to create a culture around here? Start living this way. And then start telling stories of people that you're watching God draw. So we pray, and then we watch. We pray that God would do something, and then we watch Him do it. Okay? So anyway, his dog's name is Zenu. I don't know if any of you know what that means, but I made the mistake of asking. So, what does Zenu mean? And, and Tim says to me, it's the name of Satan in Scientology. I went, oh. And I said, Jesus, draw him to yourself and make him a kingdom laborer. Right? And that's just it. And I walked away. <laughs> and that was that. Haven't seen him since. 
And then there was a man who was really, really hard for me to like. I run into him all of the time, except our dog park's closed right now. They're remodeling, right? And so I don't see him now. But his dog's name is Chester. I don't know what his name is, but he's the most annoying person on planet Earth. Do you know that guy? Yeah, we all have a version of that guy, okay? His dog's name is Chester. And, and one day, we're just talking and conversing and whatever, and, he, and then he, he asked me what I do, and I say, well, I'm a pastor. And he says, oh, really? Well, I'm a Unitarian minister, too. And, and all of a sudden, he found all this common ground with me, you know. And so I pray, God, draw him to yourself. Make him a kingdom laborer. The other night, Judy had a, a, a girls' night at our apartment. We live in this little tiny apartment in San Francisco, and, and so she had like eight women over um, who are just kind of single or on their own or whatever, and she, we've run across them. And none of them know Jesus. In fact, they are the most bizarre set of people to believe the most bizarre set of things you can imagine, all in their own way, right? So there's these eight girls there, and by the way, we're taking care of Poppy, who is the dog of the, of the baby with a heart transplant, so she's basically living with us now. And so George and Poppy lived together. But on this night, we also had three other Great Danes. So we had eight, nine women, me hiding in the back room, four Great Danes, and Poppy, a little Jack Russell Terrier, all in this tiny little apartment, praying like crazy, God, draw these people to yourself. Make them kingdom laborers. Now, I want you to hear this because this might sound crazy and fascinating and whatever else, but it's really not. It's just nothing. It's just normal life. These aren't powerful stories, and nobody's in need of the Savior yet. I can't stand up here and tell you, guess what? God has used us greatly. No, it feels like he's not doing anything sometimes. Can I just be that real about it? It's just like, will anything ever happen? What's really going on, Lord? And yet, I'll tell you what's going on. I'm changing from the inside out. I'm becoming a, I'm becoming a person who likes people who respects people. Because guess what? They were created in the image of God. And you know, I live in San Francisco, so I meet, hear me now, all kinds of people. (laughs) You with me? And I respect them, and I love them. And I have never had a better way to live than that. And I pray like we're going to do right now. Bow your heads with me. Father, my request really is that you would invite the hearts of each person here today into a way of life that is just real. Father, I pray that each one would be encouraged that maybe they thought when they were walking in here today, not consciously, but just in the back of their minds, that they were not worthy of evangelists or good examples that if anyone felt like a failure or a disappointment or inadequate that father that they would be able now to celebrate that because you're going to use the reality of who we are to accomplish your purposes lord jesus and in fact it's that reality that links our hearts with others who are caught up in their reality wondering if there is a god if there is grace that can meet them there. So Father, thanks for revealing to me that my unworthiness is is practically what makes me worthy. Father, thank you that you have selected each of us in this room. And I pray now that as we contemplate names and write names down and begin to live this way, 
that you would give one gift to this congregation, Lord. This is, this is my real prayer for these people. Bless them in such a way that this coming year, maybe even this next two months in the absence of their pastor, would be the most fruitful season that they have ever experienced. That people would come to faith in Jesus. That they might even join them here for worship. And then you would turn this place upside down because of all the new life in Christ. We believe you for that. Would you please do it? Would you please use us? And would you change us from the inside out just because we've answered your invitation to live this way? And so we thank you in advance and give you praise, you alone. Thanking you again for our salvation. Spread it to all the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.